Again, Matthew chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 15. But before I read the passage, and I will read the passage, um, we all have this reach friends or family members or even our bosses. And that in this time of the year, we have a hard time in, in trying to find a gift for them. Because we, they have everything. <laughs> like, they, they're doing well financially. So what am I going to give to them? Like, I'm sure they do not need a new shirt or a new pair of socks. And you get this dilemma of trying to find something. You want to give something. You want to show your, your, your appreciation for that person or your love. But and then... You find hard to find something to give to this person that you know, perhaps a family member. Now, when you think about Jesus who became God incarnate, as we're going to see in our text, he was born as a baby and he was resurrected in a, in a physical body and went into the heavens. Jesus is a person. Of course, I don't, I don't buy a... Uh, Christmas cake, a uh, birthday cake for Jesus every Christmas and say, have birthday Jesus. But in one sense, he is alive. He's a person in heaven, but he is. He is God, but he's a man. A man, God, Jesus Christ. What can we give to him? What can we give to Jesus who's, who has everything? Who owns everything? Does he need anything? Of course not. He's self-sufficient. But we as human beings in this desire to honor Him, what can we give to Him? Is there something that we can give to Him? And if there is something, what it is? What is it? So we're going to see in this text that, and I hope that you can, the Holy Spirit may help you to see that, yes, we can honor God and we can show our appreciation, our love, our devotion, our, how much we, 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 we recognize Him as, as our God and Savior in bringing Him gifts worthy of a King. So before we jump into the text, let, let's read our passage today. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 15. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we came to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, when, when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child of Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the King of the Jews was born. We pray, Lord, that you speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, let the light of Jesus shine in our hearts today. Reveal sin. Lead us to him who is our peace. Speak to our hearts. We need you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in chapter 1, Matthew traced Jesus' genealogy all, all the way back to Abraham. Right? While Luke goes all the way back to Adam. And this is relevant because Matthew is writing to a Jewish uh, um, audience. He wants to show the link between Jesus, David, and Abraham. The father of the Jewish people. And in chapter 2, we are informed that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, where the same place where David was born. And the name Bethlehem means house of bread. So, Dave, um, Matthew has a, 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 a folks, he has a, a, a purpose in his mind. He's writing to, the, to this Jewish audience and he wants to, conv to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. More than 60 times in his book, he mentioned the prophets of the Old Testament. And just in chapter 1 and 2, you see this word, this, this, this phrase over and over again. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Four times in two chapters. He, has, he wanted them to know this is the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, this is the Messiah. And then he gives this genealogy all the way back to Abraham. 
Now, Bethlehem is a small town, six miles uh, south of Jerusalem. Like I said, the same place that David was born. And our passage today mentioned about Herod, the great, this king who ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., which, which dates Jesus' birth somewhere between 6 and 4 B.C., Right. Herod the Great is well known in history for being a skillful administrator, a ruthless, ruthless ruler, a suspicion, suspicious man who killed at least one of his wives and three of his sons. It was Herod who later sent his troops to Bethlehem and killed all children under all male children under two years old. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod. And wise men came from the east to worship him. To worship Jesus. The number of the wise men is not given in the scriptures. And clearly they were not kings. As we have seen in pictures and movies and and so on. The notion that there, there were three Kings is associated with the numbers of gifts that these wise men brought to Jesus. But the scriptures give, 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 give us no number how many they were. There is an overall agreement that these wise men were probably philosophers who studied astrology, astronomy, and medicine, natural science, and so on. From the east may indicate Mesopotamia or perhaps Babylon, where the Jews in the 500 BC they were deported. And after they came back to Jerusalem, a large portion of Jews stayed in that place and is well known to have a great uh, Jewish um, population in the east. But we do not know exactly the location. Perhaps this wise man came to the notion or the knowledge of this Jewish Messiah by having a contact with this Jewish population. We do not know the fact that they were aware of this promise, promises about this Messiah, this ruler of the Jewish people. There are too many things in this passage that we do not know. There are too many, too many things that are mere speculation about it. But at first, when we look to this passage, we see that this man came from the east to Jerusalem to worship Jesus. They came to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem at first. Remember, Jesus is in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem. But the star led them to Jerusalem. And all along the way from their country to Jerusalem, they were guided by this star in heaven. They appeared to them while they were in their country. Now, was this a lone star or a constellation of stars? A comet? We, we do not know. And the scriptures makes no attempt to address our curiosity. Again, many speculative theories have been given to explain this phenomenon. None of them are compelling, in my opinion. 
Since this star moved from one place to another, disappeared for a while, reappeared again, went before then from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and stayed in exactly in the exact house where Jesus was. So, with Mary. So, could be anything. Some preachers believe that this was a supernatural, luminous body, similar to the one that the, the that led the Israelites in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Remember that story? They had a, a, a light guiding them in the night and protecting them from the cold. And during the day, protecting them from the heat. Could be something similar. Whether this was, was a star in heaven or a luminous body, The fact is that this light guided the wise men to Jerusalem. And the arrival of this wise men and the questions that they asked caused a great stir in Herod's court in Jerusalem. It, it, it caused a great commotion in Jerusalem. And the question was this. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Now think about it. We're thinking about a Jewish audience in Jerusalem. And this man who came from a faraway country. And clearly they could be recognized as, as immigrants or, 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 or travelers. And they come to Jerusalem and say, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? And the Jews would be astonished, saying, what are you talking about? We do have a king. Herod is the king, the Roman king, the Roman king. And they were asking, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? It's like, it's not Herod they're looking after. They're looking for another king. They could not answer this question. It's like, what are you talking about? And when Herod heard about this, he was alarmed and disturbed. Of course, he feared for his position as a king. And the people feared what this ruthless ruler could do to them. He, he, don't, he doesn't want to lose his position of influence and power. And after inquiring the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the scribes and priests, in Jerusalem about the Messiah's birthplace Herod sent them off he sent the wise men to Bethlehem because he learned from the scribes and the priests that the Messiah was to be born in, 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 in Bethlehem so he told these wise men just go that's the place not Jerusalem he's in Bethlehem in verse 6 Matthew quotes Micah chapter 5, verses 2. And the passage in Micah that you have on the screen tells not only the Messiah's birthplace, but also, pay attention to this, that this ruler comes from eternity, whose origins is from a distant past. Look at the passage. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth to, to me one who is to be ruler in Jerusalem, in Israel, 
whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. It's not just a regular king. <laughs> In verse 8, Herod tells the wise men that, that when they find this child, he send them off to Jerusalem and tell them, when you find him, just bring me a word so that I may too come and worship him. In these verses, we see that it was Jesus. It was this light that appeared to them in, in heaven, whatever this light was, that drew these men to himself. His light shone before them, and they followed. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they asked for him. And they did not rest until they found Jesus and worshipped him. Friends, this is our call to follow, ask, and join the wise in worship. These Gentiles came from a faraway country. We do not know how long their journey was. But we know that they had to move from place A to place B. Whether walking or in the back of a camel or a horse, we do not know. But they had to travel a distance to come and see Jesus. And upon their arrival in Jerusalem, they asked about Jesus. And after learning the Messiah's birthplace was Bethlehem, they set on their journey once again. Nobody in Jerusalem, this Jewish chosen people, bothered to follow them or to go with them to see this great event that has happened. Perhaps these guys that are talking about something true, nobody followed them. It did not matter for them. They had this, this light guiding them. And it was enough for them. This man did not rest until they came to Bethlehem and found Jesus in the arms of his mother, Mary. And this is to fulfill what the prophet has told in the past. Jesus was found by a people who were not his people. While his own people show indifference. Matthew highlights this contrast between the faith of the Gentiles and the unbelief of the Jews in his gospel. Look what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 65, 65 verses 1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. What a wonderful thing, isn't it? This is a great news for us. We're not Jewish people, most of us, I believe. We might be descendants. Now, among the church fathers, Augustine's conversion is undoubtedly the most remarkable one. Perhaps because he gives so much detail about it in his book, Confessions. 
And what is interesting about the story of this brilliant theologian who was a professor of rhetoric in the third century is that before his conversion, Augustine was in a quest for truth. And he found himself unable to find it. He looked everywhere. And he was left in complete despair. He looked into the philosophers, specifically Plato and Platonists. He searched diligently. He even became a member of a heretical Christian religion called the Maniche in the 3rd century. In search for this truth. In search for this light. In search for something that would fulfill him. He wasn't able to find it. Until he was having a conversation with a friend. And they were both under a fig tree and he was in a turmoil of soul because of his sins. When you read the confessions, you see that he was in complete turmoil. He would not stop looking for this light that would give him some relief because of his sins. And he was in this turmoil. He was looking and looking for it. And under this fig tree, in complete despair, he heard a voice of a child saying, Repeatedly, pick up and read, pick up and read, pick up and read. And when we read his book, he, it's hard to discern if it was actually a child singing what it was. He, he cannot, he, he, to this day nobody knows, not even he knew. But at this point, Augustine gets the Bible and reads the first passage that caught his eye. Romans chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He read this passage, and, and Augustine goes on to say that after finishing this passage, the light of assurance was poured into his heart. And the clouds of doubt vanished away. And I'm sharing this with you to show you that one common reality between all who have been born again, all who are children of God, that if we trace back of our conversion experience, we will find God drawing us to himself. Telling us to pick up and read. To confess our sins, to surrender, to follow Him. If we trace back, we found God as the source, showing His light before us, guiding our path, leading us to Christ. Augustine saw Jesus under the fig tree, Luther in preparing for a lecture in the book of Psalms, in the book of Romans. Others saw Jesus in a youth meeting. Others saw Jesus in a conversation with evangelists, in reading a track, in reading a book, and listening to a sermon. Others in a hospital bed, others in prison. There's so many different experiences for all of us. But the reality is that a common denominator between all of us who have been born again, have been saved. That we see God drawing us to Himself. 
Do you understand that? This is to humble us. This is to show that we cannot do anything. That the fact that we are here, we can see Christ. is because God said, you are my son. And I will draw you to myself. So that the glory of our salvation belongs to him. So that when we come to this day, we celebrate Christ. Not the accomplishments of men, not your accomplishments. But Christ and God. Like the wise man, God set his light before us, leading us to Jesus. And after the wise men follow, follow the light and arrive in Jerusalem, they asked about Jesus. They follow, they ask. Many have started a spiritual pilgrimage, doing the right thing, reading the Bible, going to church. They are, they are after the light. However, because of their unbelief and hardness of heart, they do not look diligently. They assume that because God is love, just the fact that they read a few verses, perhaps a chapter, perhaps a book, perhaps they read the whole Bible, they assume that, that God has an obligation to them to reveal Himself to them. They are looking at it. They are after it, right? And when uh, that doesn't happen as they expected, or as they, they picture in their minds, their unbelief draws them away from the light and they start asking the wrong questions. They start going after the wrong light, the wrong path. They started right by following the light and believing, but they failed to continue believing. It's not wrong to ask questions and seek to understand our faith better. But we need to ask the right questions. It is easy to read this passage in God and get lost in seeking to find exactly country where this wise man came from. How they learned the prophecies about the Messiah. How many of them were. What is the significance of the gifts that they brought to Jesus? And so on and on and on. But one question, one question truly matters. In fact, if we only get, we only get things right if we get the answer for this question. One question that all the other things depend upon. Which the wise man asked, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Where is He who has been born the King of the Jews? Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? Where is Jesus in the book of Leviticus? Where is Jesus in the book of Psalms, in the book of Job? Where is Jesus in the, the epistles? Where is Jesus in the Bible? Where is He? Where? Show me. We all should ask these questions when we read the scriptures. And we should not be satisfied in our readings until we find Jesus. Until we taste Him. Until we consume Him. Until He fills our minds and hearts. Where is Jesus? 
Where is Jesus in your life? Where is Jesus? Is Jesus feeling your devotionals? Is this question, this quest for Jesus consuming your heart and soul on a daily basis? Or just Sunday? Or just Christmas? Where is He? Show me Jesus. When we hear sermons, we should ask, where is Jesus in this sermon? Where is He in this sermon? Oh, my friends, I pray that the Lord will grant us an uneasy spirit that will spur us to follow the beams of light in every promise in the Scripture, in every passage until it leads us to Christ. That we not be satisfied in just reading and reading, but we follow through where it leads us to Jesus. And until we see Him, and until we behold His glory, and until we found out and said, Glory to Jesus, I see you, Jesus, here. Here I see you, you're real. Consume my heart, burn it with zeal for you. Burn it. Burn it. Show me Jesus. Give me Him in the morning, the afternoon, at night. Give me Jesus. Oh friends, that we will look under every rock and behind every bush until we find Him. Until you taste Him. I'm not talking about knowledge, I'm about I'm talking about tasting, tasting, experiencing Jesus. This is real. Experiencing Christ transforming your life, changing your mind, changing your affections. Oh, I pray that we might be like uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Thank you. Remember him? Who climbed up on a tree so that he could see Jesus. And what happened? Jesus saw him. I saw you, Zacchaeus. I saw you. And he said to him, I'm going to your house and I'm going to dine with you tonight. He was looking for Jesus and Jesus found him and said, I'm going to dine with you. I'm going to fellowship with him. With you tonight. And all his friends and his household. They were blessed to have Jesus. At, their, at, at his dinner table. And I pray that the Lord will not only. Help us to find the answer for this question. What is Jesus? But I will continue to ask. And continue to pursue him. Day after day. Remember friends. In the beginning God came to the garden. Daily, looking for, for, for Adam. And after Adam fell into sin, he hid himself from God. And the Lord asked, where are you, Adam? Where are you? Today, because the king of the Jews has been born, we do not need to hide because of our sins anymore. And this morning, if you hear God's voice calling you, do not hesitate. Come out of your, from your hiding place and go to Jesus without fear or shame. Is He calling you this morning? Perhaps He has been calling you for a while to have fellowship with Him. What has been hindering you to come to Him, to look for Him, to find Him? 
the love for the world, your sins, or fear of others, what others will think of you if you come to Jesus. Perhaps your busy schedule is hindering you from meeting God. For some, it has been such a long time since they fellowship with God in such a meaningful way that they don't even remember what it looks like anymore. Where is Jesus? Give me Him. Give me Jesus. What is hindering you to look for Him? He's not hiding from us. He's not hiding from you. Is He calling you to Him? Perhaps He's been drawing you for a while and calling you as a diligent father and a loving father. Where are you, my son? Come out to meet Him. Ask and search for Jesus in His holy book and you will find. Because that's His promise. He promised that those who look for Him will find Him. Those who ask will receive. Do you ask for the right things? Now that we are in this season of asking and giving, asking gifts and giving gifts, have you asked for the right things? Have you asked, Jesus, can I have more of you? Give me more of yourself. And have we, have we looked into the scriptures for Him? Do not be satisfied and just be a member of this church. We praise, you for, we praise the Lord for that. It's a good thing. But don't be satisfied with that. What kind of religion is that if you are satisfied and being just a member of a church? Yes, by faith we are members of of God's church, the universal church. But don't be satisfied where you are in your spiritual walk. Where is Jesus? Are you looking after Him? But following and asking is not sufficient. It is not. Isn't it? No. We must worship Jesus. We must worship Him. In verse 11, we see that this wise man, when they found Jesus in the house with Mary, they bowed down and worshipped. Friends, I take this in the literal terms. They bowed down in worship. They realized who was before them. King Herod instructed the wise men to send him a word when they found Jesus, so that they may also come and so that he may also come and worship, right? Pure hypocrisy from Herod. Pure hypocrisy. He wanted to kill Jesus, not worship him. His concern was in losing his privileged position and, and being worshipped as the great Herod, not worshiping the true and great king. And this is the difference between the child of God and the hypocrite, the believer and the unbeliever. The first six answers to their questions so that they can worship Jesus and know Him better. While the latter is more concerned with self-preservation. While the children of God are known before their Lord for their humility, the sons of the world for their hardness of heart, and pride 
This passage invites all of us to come and worship. Come and worship. Follow, ask, and then come and worship. Notice that the wise men first rejoice with exceedingly great joy when they found the object of their search and inquiry. After finding it, they prostrate themselves before the child and worship. They paid homage to Jesus. And homage means to pay respect, show reverence, and honor. And after that, they opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense is a resin, resin, resin. Extract from a tree with a bitter taste. And, but it has a fragrant odor, mainly used to, as an incense, to burn incense. Myrrh, likewise, extract from a tree. And it's used as a medicine, as an ingredient of precious, as, as a precious ointment and perfumes. I mean, again, I would not speculate about the significance of these gifts. Except to say that these gifts were gifts worthy of a king. These were expensive gifts. They searched for Jesus. When they found him, they bowed down in reverence and worshiped him. They offer him gifts. And before leaving to their country, they bow down, they worship, they open their treasure boxes, present him with gifts, and then they left their country. They search, they found him, they bow down, they worship, they offer him gifts. This teach us that we should come and worship, but not with empty handed. This is what I mean by this. The desire of this man was to worship, to see Jesus, this great King of the Jews, not to buy his influence. This man saw in Jesus more than the other people did. He was not just a baby. They had been granted the gift of true faith and the eyes to see the king of the Jews. The king of kings laying on Mary's lap. And I like what Spurgeon says about this passage. He says this. Eyes that see are gifts from the all-seeing one. Carnal eyes are blind. But this, but this man saw the infinite in the infant. The Godhead gleaming through the manhood. The glory hiding beneath the swaddling bands, bands. Undoubtedly, there was a spiritual splendor about this matchless child. They have been granted the eyes of faith. They had received the greatest gift ever. This man who traveled a great distance did not permit to present themselves before the, the great king with a mere 
empty-handed adoration. The worship of Jesus was not complete until they opened their treasure box and gave him gifts. And as Spurgeon says, wise people are liberal and generous. Liberal in the sense of uh, giving with liberality. Just to make, a, make things clear. I think nowadays we need to make things clear. Wise men and women worship with their minds, with their hearts, meaning their affections, and with their finances. People of God worship with everything they have. Nothing is hidden from their, from their God. <clears throat> These wise men of the past compel us to come and worship and bring gifts worthy of a king. But the question is, what can we give to the one who owns everything? As I said in the beginning of the sermon. What can we give to him who does not need anything? What kinds of gifts would, would honor Jesus? Well, first and foremost, our undevoted and unconditional love for Him. God is a jealous God and He warns us that nothing should stand between us and Him. Absolutely nothing. Second, we see in this passage that we can and must honor Jesus with our finances. With our whole being. With our whole existence. With our work. With everything we do. With our mouths. With our thoughts. With our hands. The example of the wise teaches us and encourages us to be generous and see money as a means to worship. To be liberal in giving. Because this honors God. Again, Spurgeon, very helpful. Brothers, you never get into the heart of happiness till you become unselfish and generous. So many, so many in, 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 in prize in their finances are going from, from bad to worse. When God teaches that the heart of joy is to give, not to receive. It's to give away, it's to give and not to receive. But we want to receive and keep it and keep it more. We want to fill our treasure box instead of opening that and giving. Giving to Him. I'm not saying that you should sell everything. I'm just saying, open your treasure boxes. Let's give it, let's worship Him. Whatever that means to you. In your finances, in your life. Oh, we live in USA and capitalism and, and has been a wonderful thing to live in USA for me. But we must not worship our money and finances and the comfort that we have. God has given us so many gifts. Perhaps we have our treasure boxes filled, not just one, but two and three. And we continue to fill them up and yet we are not joyful when the Lord calls us, give. Give. There's a blessing in giving. In Psalm 40, we learn that the Lord does not delight in sacrifices and, and burn offerings. But that His people obey and keep His word. And this means that 
The Lord does not tax His people, but He delights in seeing in us true love that expresses itself beyond mere words. This also teaches us that true worship comes from the heart and gives greater purpose to money and possessions. Why for some, for some money and possessions lead to self-sufficiency, self-confidence, pride, and even apostasy. For God's people, it is a means to worship. Have you ever thought about your finances as a means to worship? Because we talk about worship when we sing. How about your finances as a means to worship without saying a word? Worship. For the child of God, there is nothing that he or she would not do to honor Jesus. And this helps us to see the works of love, self-denial, gratitude, and generosity pave the path to happiness and are manifestations of the heart of a true worshiper. Come. Come and worship and rejoice. The Messiah is born. Come and worship. Open your treasure boxes and, and, and be joyful in Him. The Savior is born. At the end of this passage from verses 12 to 15, show how God protect His Son from Herod by warning the wise men in a dream to return to their own country to a different route. And He also warned Joseph that Herod would come after Jesus. And He instructed Joseph to flee with Mary to Egypt until He would call him to come back to the land of Israel. And as we have seen in the book of Job, and in the Gospel of Matthew today, God protects and keeps all His children safe. Nothing falls outside of God's knowledge, and we are never too far away from God's providence and provision. And I, want, I would like to conclude by saying this. The sight of a star guided the wise man who came to Jesus from a distant country. And when they saw him, they bowed down, worshipped, and opened their treasure boxes. While the Jewish people in Jerusalem show indifference to the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem, the Gentiles did not rest until they found Jesus. And in the birth of Jesus, the long-awaited ruler was finally born. And the, promise, the promises of old were fulfilled. The king of the Jews is the king of all of those who come to him, whether Jew or Gentile, to those who are far off and to those who are nearby. As the prophet Isaiah also said, For to us a child is born, and for to us a son is given. The baby in the manger was the root and the descendant of David. The bright morning star. 
the bright morning star that continued to lead his people to salvation, to newness of life, and in the path of uh, sanctification, leading us to heaven. The bright morning star that shines in perfect glory in heaven and in the hearts of all of those who come to him. Today, let's exalt it. Let's exalt Jesus with an adoration and worship worthy of a king. Come. Come and worship. Open your treasure boxes. Bow down to him. Because the Savior is born. He is our king. Let's give a few minutes for us to reflect. And Pastor Damon will lead us in the Lord's Supper.